everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on this great Sunday. Before we start the show, I just want to remind everybody about the mess that's going on in Ukraine. Donate to the Red Cross, donate to any charity you want, but let's help those folks. Mm-hmm. For the show, we're going to be joined by Deb Moser from Central Farm Markets, and we're going to be talking about shrooms and the health benefits from them. That's mushrooms, good <laughs> mushrooms, the regular mushrooms. No microdosing on this um, show. You've seen those beautiful teal wine bottles in the wine stores. That's Gemma di Luna, Gemma the Moon Italian Wines, uh, Filippo Lapidus, a real Italian, is in here today. He's a national brand ambassador uh, for uh, Gemma di Luna. We're going to have taste and talk of they're Pinot Grigio's, sparkling Moscato, and Prosecco today. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your food story? What does that mean? Well, everybody has one. How were you raised? Well, what did the folks around you do and say about food that made you love it, hate it, certain foods? Did your mom make you eat your spinach until you you know, finished all of that? Finding peace with food and your food story and how it drives your choices and your choices in life can help you say goodbye to bad eating habits and more. Elise Muselis has joined us. She's a certified eating psychology and nutrition expert, and she's got a great new book called Food Story, Rewrite the Way You Eat, Think, and Live. She'll be in to talk about that. And speaking of food, what are the two greatest food cities east of the Mississippi, Uh, D.C. and New York? (laughs) And how great is it to be a New Yorker or a Washingtonian? I mean, there are good places dotted up the way. Philadelphia is great. It's an amazing food city. But it doesn't compare to D.C. or or, how dare you? Okay. How dare you, my dear? Whatever. Anyways, to be able to you know jet up there in comfort or or jet down from New York to D.C. for a weekend is is a great thing, and a great guy with a great idea, Chad Scarborough has founded something called the Jet. It's a luxury motor coach offering direct service between D.C.'s Metro Center and Hudson Yards in New York, and he's going to tell us all about it and you, how you will travel in luxury. I think you introduced that really wrong. It no, should don't. be like, after all this of two years, we're ready to travel, and if you're going to travel, you should be traveling in luxury. Okay, I'm sorry. I never do anything wrong. No. So, <laughs> okay. But let's talk to Deb Moser first. Deb, um, you know I'm a Deb, big fan of mushrooms. you Warning. wrote a whole newsletter about mushrooms. That's right. And I don't think about this time of year, I don't think people think that this is like, Mushroom time. I think people think about mushrooms more in the spring and more in the fall when it's wetter, but you're writing about it now. Yeah, well, they've been around all winter and they're really, uh, really a staple in our house. Um, I know David said he's he's gotten into them, too. But uh, I have a question for you, David. What is a mushroom? It's a fungus. Among us. And do you know what part of the fungus it is? No, uh, it's the, a spore. No, well, I in, in college right? I called it the fun part of the fungus, but now I don't know. You're right. You're right because it's the reproductive part of the fungus. Oh, oh. yeah. So and and mushrooms also have a way of eating. They um, absorb things through their under parts, and they actually eat them. So they are a fungus. You know, mushrooms are a fungus. They're not. Uh, but unlike. Other plants, they have a unique taste to them. And one of the tastes that mushrooms have is called umami, which is a meat flavor. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're finding a lot of mushrooms in uh, plant-based foods now. But we love mushrooms. They're easy to cook. They're filled with vitamins and nutrients, about 15 of them. There's a lot of research going on about using mushrooms for health reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, because aren't they natural detoxifiers as well? Isn't yes. there like new research, uh, not just uh, for us when we uh, eat them, but also for the environment, right? Like they're natural. Exactly. They're like oysters for the air, except on land, right? Right, right. And um, we, there are a lot of foraging um, um, mycology, I think. they're Yeah, mycologists, yeah. Yeah, and they and we have them around D.C. and you can join one of these clubs if you're interested in mushrooms. They'll go out, they'll forage for them. A lot of them can be picked right around where we live, but you have to know what you're doing. So you yeah, know. don't pick the wrong. Well, ones. I mean, so there right. pre-pandemic there was a huge. I'm going to 
butcher this, Mycological Association here in D.C., and they went on trips like every weekend. For once, you didn't butcher it. I didn't butcher it. (laughs) Uh, But they went went out every weekend, and, you know, you could go and join them, and they had experts with them who would uh, really, you know, help you identify um, which mushrooms were, you know, poisonous and which ones weren't. And a lot of the chefs in the area do that, too. Yeah, a lot a lot of them if they they really know what they're doing, they will go out and pick their own. Mm-hmm. If you can't do that or you're worried about doing that, right. we have another solution for you. You can come to the farm markets uh-huh. and get your mushrooms. And we're very fortunate at Central Farm Markets, we have two different mushroom vendors. So we have the uh, the mushroom stand at Bethesda, okay, and they have a wide variety of mushrooms and they are so knowledgeable and will tell you why the mushrooms are different, what you can use them for, how to cook them differently. And then at Pike, when Pike reopens the end of April, and at Nova, which is open now, we have king mushrooms. And they they do a wonderful job, too. And they have something that we love, and we buy by the tons. Tell us. And it's um, their um, fer- fermented or, or kind of uh, pickled mushrooms. Mm. And so we put them out with uh, with a charcuterie board or something, and they're really, really good. That's like a they double whammy, have, right? Like a total double yeah. whammy. I Very think I've been pickled on mushrooms before. They also have a Hungarian uh, mushroom soup, which oh. is really good. And I have, no joke, used that mushroom soup on pasta. So there's all sorts of things you can do, but cooking mushrooms is very easy. We love them also, hot mushrooms on top of our salad. Excellent. All right, Deb, tell everybody, please, where they can find you. We know you have some exciting information to tell us, but we have to wait a couple weeks. So uh, we'll just sort of drop, plant some seeds about some exciting things. Coming to fruition for Central. No, shush for Central Farm Markets. It is a baby, but Deb's not having it. Okay, tell us where we can find you. One, it's called Mitch. Right (laughs) online, please, Deb. Where we can find you online? Uh, CentralFarmMarkets.com. Excellent. Uh, About to launch a new website, so you'll see all sorts of good things. Great, thanks, Deb. We'll see you next week. All right, take care. All right. Okay. Get ready. Okay. No, we're going to wine first. I can't believe you. All right, so. Uh, Filippo Lapidus is a real no-kidding Italian. I mean, Benvenuto it's not like, it's not like you're the first Italian. You know, but I love it. I always, I'm, I'm, I'm an Italophile, as you know. Okay. And he is the man that knows everything about a Gemma the Moon, um, Gemma di Luna, Italian wines, and those beautiful teal bottles. Everybody, I think, would know the bottles. Um, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. A little background on you. How did you get into wine? Uh, well, I think like everybody who's into wine, whether you're working in the business or you're drinking is out of passion and love for what wine is. Uh, however, uh, kind of started uh, in two twofold way. One, having experience uh, growing up in Italy and in Switzerland, Europe, having a lot of wine tradition, of course, mm. but then also working in restaurants and wine, eventually uh, getting gaining the wine knowledge through experience of uh uh, just trying and, and enjoying. And I had such a passion for it. I said, why not work in something that I love and do every day? And that's why, that's why. Uh, Making uh, your profession your, <laughs> your passion, pa- passion or your yeah. passion your profession right, yeah. is always amazing. I, 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 I couldn't right. think of anything else that I would uh, want to be doing than wine. You know, I would, that's... if I could get paid for sleeping, I would do it. But other... <laughs> So um, uh, tell us about Gemma de Luna. Yes, please. Gemma de Luna is uh, really about uh, passion uh, as well, and it's, a, it's affordable luxury, but representing some of it, Italy's uh, most well-known and most popular varietals in a very quality way, mm-hmm. uh, quality in the sense of uh, a lot of winemaking tradition uh, from our producers. Uh, we our, our wines are produced in the Veneto, uh, or, or we bottle them there, uh, not far from uh, from the beautiful city, romantic city of uh, Verona. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh. our uh, our uh, president of our company actually lives in in Verona, and our. Uh, our company, Innovation Brands, which is the importer of uh, Gemma de Luna, we have an office in Miami. So, uh, oh my God! Well. So you're C- just having a good CEO time wherever you go. Well, if they give you a choice, yeah, I would idea. live in Verona. <laughs> <laughs> Verona is uh, just a beautiful spot. But uh, it was uh, uh, Gemma de Luna really comes uh, out of not only bringing like 
something of varietals that we know about, but making them extraordinary, not only in the what's in the bottle, but also in the package. Hence the teal, the teal package, which has that just beautiful calming feeling. And also, I think uh, Italians always have reverence to the tastes of their women, and women love the color. <laughs> they really <laughs> well, they love the well, color. It is, it is <laughs> Tiffany. So, not to give another Tiffany brand. Green, it is right. Tiffany Blue. So it's blue. 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 Tiffany it's blue. not green. exactly, but it definitely uh, makes you think of the, those. Those uh, it brings Boxes. that emotion out of uh, that beautiful package and the gems and the jewels. How um, old is the company? The company itself is uh, over uh, thirty years old. Okay. Uh, as far as Gemma de Luna, we're about four four years as far as a brand. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our company now is uh, in Italy is one of the largest, if not the largest, privately owned uh, winery and bottler in Italy, of, especially of Prosecco, Pinot Grigio. Uh, we're part of uh, now what's known as Italian Wine Group. So, uh, Innovation Brands and Italian Wine Group are partners. So uh, uh, tell us what you're pouring for us first. So I'm going to pour some Pinot Grigio for you. And okay. I see some people have Pinot Grigio, and I also see that we do not have Pinot Grigio. You're going to get the Pinot Grigio. now. I didn't want to reach over that <laughs> no, mic and uh, spill it. But uh, no, the Pinot Grigio is a, a great way to start, and uh, I'll, I'll come back and talk okay, to you about great. it after I pour it. Excellent. Thank you so much. All right. Now so, uh, no, no. Gonna... This is me. Okay. Let me do this. All right. Okay. So years ago, I was asked to be interviewed um, about the D.C. dining scene at a fundraising event. And um, it was like a little entertainment before, like the big money ask. It was a huge fundraiser. And I was delighted. And a very well-known female news anchor was interviewing me. Um, and we were chatting about restaurants in front of this huge audience. And she kept commenting on my size and my weight. And it was wholly inappropriate. But the comments were like, oh, right. Like she was making fun of me. Like, right, everybody. Like Nikki eats that much. I mean, look at her. She kept making comments as I kept trying to redirect her to talking about the amazing food industry and what was happening in DC, but she could not let go of what I physically look like. And I don't know if it was to shame me or if it was something going on with her, if she had her own issues, but it really was uncomfortable. And she didn't know what my food story was. She didn't know if I struggled with food or you know, if I had an eating disorder at some point, like she had no idea if she was triggering me. Fortunately, she wasn't. But I think that that story, that story really sticks with me and it's so important. And that's why when uh, I heard about Elisa's book, Food Story, I couldn't really wait to bring you on because we are so screwed up when it comes to food. And there are so many people in this country who don't have access to food and who can't eat. And then you have the very wealthy who have too much access. And we are all screwed up with food. And it all has to do with our food story. So, Elise, you have been on the show before, but not in this capacity. And the book is amazing. So thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for sharing that story, mm-hmm. too. So how did you come up with recognizing that everybody's food story was so important? Well, I'm going to share with you how I came up with the concept of food story, Mm -hmm. which will um, answer your question. So when I was working with really sophisticated and savvy, you know, women mostly who really understood a lot about food, you know, it was we we would talk about like what to eat. And I just felt like there was a missing piece to the equation because they had all this information they had access or, you know, and yet they just couldn't. They weren't comfortable with their body. They weren't confident with their choices. And so I ended up studying eating psychology, which really gets into the mind of the eater. And I, to make this very short, that is the missing piece of the nutrition puzzle. And so I'd start working with all these clients and I could bring in these tools. I say, tell me about your relationship with food. And everybody would like slump their shoulders. And there was like just these like, oh, no, let's not go there. And it was sort of like a universal response that, you know, it's complicated I don't want to talk about it. And I realized that people were thinking about just them and food. And there's so much more that goes into how we relate to food. It's the messages that we're taught, Mm -hmm. you know, that we we take in and consume. It's the meals that we've, you know, all our memories and the meals that we've eaten. And there's so much, the stories that happen, you know, shaming, even unintentional shaming. All, there's different chapters. There's no, I'm villains. pretty sure that was intentional. Hold on one sec. We have to take a break, and then we're going to get right back into this. This is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. What is your food story? You should know it. We'll be back in just a sec. 
All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and we're talking to Elise Muselis, who has written a great, her second book, mm-hmm. Food Story, Rewrite the Way You Eat, Think, and Live. And uh, she and Nikki were just in the middle of a whole conversation about the importance of really recognizing that as part of what drives us and what shapes us. So the bottom line with that is mm-hmm. that when people realize that it wasn't just them and food and that there were all these other influences, it, it sort of took away the shame. You know, mm-hmm. and the guilt and the blame because it wasn't just them. You know, there were other things that went into how they related to food. So the concept of food story was born, and it's really taken off. And and people are able to see that you know, just like you have a money story, a love story, you know, a life story, you also have a food story. And well, I do think you've sort of hit at a moment in time when people, you know, after two years of the pandemic, people are a lot more introspective, right? They're sort of taking stock of what has happened with them, what is happening, and I, I maybe looking at this as a moment to sort of say, okay, how do I how do I go back into the world and like live my life better? How do I how do I take that experience and educate myself from mm-hmm. it and do things differently? We don't have to go we can go back to normal, but it should be a new normal, right? right? Completely. And I think that we do have to we've I guess a silver lining could be that we have this opportunity to see what worked and what didn't. Mm-hmm. And we we can change things, you know. So as you work with people or as people go through the book, once once we once you've uh, sort of teased out the food story, then what? Then what do you do with all that information? Well, the book takes you through a five-step method. But really a lot of it is, uh, you know, discovering your food story because how often do you stop and think, like, why do I have these thoughts or am I even having these thoughts? So it is definitely, you know, an inner journey, understanding some of your limiting beliefs and then, you know, like do writing it out. The actual act of writing it out is a release. Like it, it's journaling. Sto- yeah. Journaling. Cause, mm-hmm. Because these thoughts, these limiting beliefs, these behaviors, these patterns, you may not even know you have them. But when you put it down on paper, it's such a different way of looking at it and it also releases it from your body. Well, I think it's important to recognize that depending on your generation, your food stories can be different. Like I was raised by people that said, if you don't finish those Brussels sprouts, you can sit here and stare at them all night. And I was like, oh my God. And to this day, I, I eat them and they're okay, but... But you are part of right, the, co- right, the right, Clean right. Plate and, Club. And then you get into the 70s when people started to organic and this and that and what to eat and what not to eat and now what's good for you, what's not good for you. I mean, it's... So food stories, I mean, the generational food stories, uh, the morphing of them is is important to recognize, too. That's true. But also, um, sometimes you, you have to ask yourself, is this true for me now? You know, because mm-hmm. because what happened then, and even if your parents who made you finish the Brussels sprouts were well-intentioned, it probably disconnected you from your body and so that you thought, I have to finish everything on my plate or else I feel guilty. You know, and that's what happened. So recognizing like, okay, this is, they were doing the best they can. Who knows where that came from for them? Like maybe they had- came from the lim- depression. Yeah, of course. And right, so, like what was their food story? Like exactly. it, is, it does travel, right? Mm-hmm. It does travel. And that also means that we pass on our food stories to the next generation to mm-hmm. not to put any pressure. But, you know- It's too late. Our kids are grown. They're screwed up. <laughs> Whatever, whatever, sure whatever that, I passed on to them, they've got it. It's I'm all sure over. that they have some really positive memories, too. You know, it's a, a whole mixed thing. But really thinking about it in this context is novel for people, you know, to think about their food story. And the other thing that's very empowering is that you actually control the pen. You know, mm-hmm. you could pick up the fe- pen and write a new chapter, too. But you so, also talk about, I mean, listen, your book is full of recipes because you talk about, I mean, you've included meditation in there. You talk about sort of like, I loved your whole little thing about chocolate. Do you know what I mean? Because we're sort of taught that chocolate is candy and candy isn't really good for you. But there's really good qualities in dark chocolate that is mood lifting and, and healthy for you. So like, let's talk about how food helps your mood and how you can do it in a way that's healthy. Okay, sure. So when what you were referencing with the chocolate is that I have a chocolate meditation in the book. Right. And that really is to illustrate the power of presence. That sounds like my kind of meditation. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> Candidly. You know, but just when you sit still, when you bring all your senses to the table, when you actually taste the chocolate, when you notice it, when you close your eyes for a minute, it's very exaggerated, but it, it just 
it really shows us how we're not present when we are eating our well, you're food talking most about, of the time. You're talking really about savoring what you eat, right? right? Like so many times we're at a table. Like if you think about going out to a restaurant and like it's busy and it's noisy and there's a great vibe and there's music and you're with friends and you're drinking and like sometimes the food you're like, oh, this is good, but you're really just like shoving it in. Do you know what I mean? Like you're not taking a moment to like eat, to think about what you're eating, to think about what you're putting in your mouth. Right. Well, I have two responses to that. Well, one okay. is that all that other stuff is soul nourishment, so that's mm-hmm. important too. Mm-hmm. But I, I try to say to people like, you know, what normal when you're just eating your breakfast or eating lunch and you're not out socializing, like that we should just eat, not eat and, not eat and look at our phone, eat and drive, eat and run out the door, eat and check emails, whatever. You know, we should just eat. Mm. And that we don't. We, that's, uh, we are no. a culture of distracted eaters. And it, that is why I had the chocolate meditation so that we can know what it's like to eat without the distraction. Mm. That's okay. very good. Do you have something to say? I always have something to say. Okay. <laughs> um, it's hard. Nikki meditates. I don't. I tried. And, uh, you know, she says I can if I focus on it. You know, if I, if I really want to do it, I can. But I just, I'm, my mind's all over the place. So that's what everybody is, is ma- meditation, Maintaining a food discipline is the same sort of thing. I mean, right now I'm, you know, in quotes, dieting uh, because I have put on my COVID-15, uh, but I hate Plus it. Five. It's a beast. And um, but the I've temptation tried to-, to slip out of it is is constant. I know, but can I just to interject? Here. Oh no, I want to least since I, I met since I met my husband, he is always on some sort of diet. Okay, we've been together for almost thirty years, and I have. She was twelve. I was. I was a child bride. Um, so when, but like really, in the last six years, I keep trying to explain to him, it's really not about a diet. Yes, should you, when you're trying to lose weight, do you need to subtract things from it? Absolutely. But you can live. And you can live well and you can live healthy with and enjoy the uh, the pleasure of food without feeling like you're being guilty or you're doing something wrong. Do you know what I mean? But like it's I, I mean, I'm, you will know all this, but like moderation, things of that nature. Like we all know as ed- educated people, we know how to eat. We just choose not to. Right. Don't you agree? Right. Yes. I just no, want to I say, agree. has it really been 30 years? It's really been a long oh time. But <laughs> the other thing is, what about finding the, you know, some of the things you love that make you feel good and adding them in instead of having the mentality that you're restricting or that you can't? And so there are, like dark chocolate, you know, there are health benefits. Finding ways to make the, you know, the desserts that you love that are really... That but then taste- if you can eat dark chocolate and it's got sugar in it and all that, that means something else has to give back before you get to the chocolate. Do you see what I'm saying? If you're on, you know, if I'm not going to eat any more than 18 grams of sugar in a day or whatever and X number of calories and all of that, then something else has to give. But she's saying that that's not how you should live. But I think that the mindset is what needs to change first because when you're saying I can only and I should well, if or you this lose is— lose weight. That's what you got to do. But that's. I, but that what about adding up. in all the vegetables, not I the do. Brussels, though, and the greens and, you know, and, and going to the farmer's salmon. market and making your food and feeling connected and the salmon and all the things that you actually do like that are good for you. Well, and, I know. I, I'm, and I hear you. I mean, you know, feeling connected and all that is a little beyond me. It I'm, isn't. I'm way too But that's the story you're telling yourself. I know. That's and the what, same with meditation. I'm so glad you're here today. Right. We could totally gang up on <laughs> yeah. him and have a good Another time. Thing this about is old terrific. Dogs and new tricks. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. It's just not going to happen. All right. So if people want to find your book, and I know you have like a big social media following, where do they follow you? How, what's the best way to like see what's happening for okay, you? Sure. So my book is wherever books are sold. Okay. You, know, you can get online and or ask your local, if you want to support your local bookstore, ask of them course. if you can't find it there. Um, my website is my name, elisemucellus.com. Social mm-hmm. media is the same at Elise Mucellus. And I also have a podcast and I'm Great. hoping you'll come on as a guest, maybe both of you. Okay. <laughs> I have all my guests share their food story. Well, be your, your, and, your laboratory test animal. <laughs> yeah, I love and it. that's called Once Upon a Food Story. Great. So thank you so much for having me. It's um, so good to have you. I know. For so long. Well, we're going to, so I'm going to book you on industry night where we can take a deeper dive. So we'll, we'll circle yeah. back to that. Um, Andy, how are we for a break? I got three minutes. Okay, well, let's talk wine then. All right, so Filippo. Pinot Grigio has become sort of a ubiquitous wine here in the States as an Italian wine. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So how do you sort of take that knowledge that Americans know Pinot Grigio and elevate it so that it's because there's bad Pinot Grigio and there's that's good a, Pinot Grigio, That's right? an excellent question uh, mm-hmm. because Pinot Grigio has been such the uh, varietal, sought-after varietal and very popular, of course, from our backyard, the Dele Venezia, mm-hmm. where our Pinot Grigio comes from. But we kind of, we consider ourselves Pinot Grigio experts. It's mm-hmm. our backyard. So if you're talking to one of your California friendly producers and they would say they have different Cabernets, different styles, different. We treat Pinot Grigio the same way. It's the grape of our backyard, of our soils, of our. So we select uh, from the best grapes, the best soils, and also the the methodology. Our winemakers. Well, it's a really designated grape, right? Isn't a DOCG correct. right? In in this case, we're a DOC delle Venezia. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're our different Pinot Grigio is grown predominantly in the northern, uh, uh, northeast part of Italy because it's a cooler climate. It's at the base of the uh, the Dolomiti, the Alps there, and where we get uh, the effect of that cooler climate is perfect for white uh, white wine grapes. As a matter of fact, one of our vineyards uh, that we uh, use grapes from is at the base of the Dolomiti, and um, that uh, that's the Dolomites. For Dolomites, you, yeah, Dol- Dolomites, <laughs> yes, the, the Dolomite, <laughs> and uh, in that area uh, the uh, many many producers uh, uh, say that that could be for the Italian variety of Pinot Grigio, the birthplace of it. Okay. Um, our uh, what you have in your glass here, if you had a chance to or taste, or what we don't oh, have yeah. a. Uh, <laughs> 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 okay, you, you drank it up, so it means it's good. Um, I think what uh, what you'll find there is a really amazing expression of the Pinot Grigio variety of the Venezia. You get kind of that good, fresh, bright acidity, that lime citrus note. Uh, this is perfect with any of the uh, food and shellfish. I don't know if I can come in. I know your your guest, uh, Elisa, on her, her book, Food Story, we talk about having wine with meal. And, and in Italy, wine is defined as food. Mm-hmm. So to enjoy it with food also helps you pace yourself because you take a sip of wine, you enjoy the taste, pairing with the food makes you also think about your experience with the wine and food together. And that's a diet I could get with. No, but not only that. I mean, <laughs> wine can totally... Food can open up wine, and wine can open up food, right? Absolutely, so absolutely. You could taste some. Uh, you could have a piece of fish that tastes great, but if you put this really bright Pinot Grigio next to it, it could wake up some of the herb notes or the citrus flavors in it that you maybe didn't see initially. It's amazing how it works together. Thank you for saying that. And uh, and I also was thinking of locally. A lot of people like the crab meat here, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that sweetness of the blue crab, lump crab. It goes perfect against the uh, Pinot Grigio, the acidity and the kind of lime citrus notes. Uh, so uh, food pairings are absolutely essential. And our Pinot Grigio just has that perfect pairing uh, capacity and enjoyed very cold uh, in the, it can be enjoyed by itself as well. Right. So. Without a doubt. Okay, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, you're going to tell us what you're pouring next. Okay? Absolutely. This is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. We have a little bit of Italy in studio. It's not that we have, bad. We'll we have be... a lot of Italy in studio. Okay, we'll be back in just a sec. We are back on Foodie and the Beast with David Nikki Nellis and our friend Filippo Lapidus from Gemma di Luna Wines is about to pop open some Prosecco. Mamma mia. Okay. Che so, meraviglia. Okay. Tell us a little bit about Prosecco. Prosecco is something for us that is uh, really passionate. It's our backyard. It's part of our Wait, it makes wine you culture. passionate or it is passionate? <laughs> both. <laughs> both. <laughs> both. Passion checking. in a bottle. I'm just know? checking. Uh, the uh, the uh, Prosecco has to come from where our vineyards are in the in backyard of Veneto. Ours in particular come from an area known as Conegliano, but it's somewhere between the beautiful cities of Verona and Venice uh, in the hills. We call the hills of Treviso. And Prosecco predominantly comes from a grape we call Glera. And the soils uh, that it come from, the hills there are unique, and it's a unique uh, uh, microclimate that creates the flavors of the Glera grape that make the Prosecco uh, unique. Uh, people can grow the grapes elsewhere, but the, the the region has really been defined similar to a region like Champagne, mm-hmm. not the Prosecco Champagne. The only no, thing no, they no. have in common right. are that they're sparkling. Right. But the, uh, the fact of the matter is it's uh, a protected territory with a certain level of quality and laws that make something very special. And Prosecco is very approachable, very light, very fun, very festive. So you always feel when you're having Prosecco, you feel good about yourself. You feel alive, you know, the bubbles and the the good feeling and sharing it with friends. And it's kind of our Italian 
happy hour, if you will. That's where we we the start the aperitivo. Thank you, Nikki. Mm-hmm. You, you know you know the Italian culture. Uh, she lives with an itself. Italian wannabe. There you I go. do live with an Italian wannabe. <laughs> so enjoying that with your aperitivo. That's the way we start uh, our you know before you know, we sit down to prosecco, dinner. A little prosecco, little dark chocolate. Enjoy a little of our fly. prosecco. And as uh, I, as I will pour in your glass, you'll find that our prosecco is truly on point, extra dry, has a lot of tradition. I have a question, though. No, no, yeah. Well, I want to know, are you doing battle with climate change? We are, actually. But uh, we are uh, m- very much micromanaging uh, the situation in the vineyards. Uh, it, it's amazing what technology uh, can do to help in looking at uh, the aerial view of the winery. The, the winemakers are continually testing, um, you know, still wine that, is still left up to the forces of nature. And sure. that's uh, that's kind of the beauty of the business because... There's only so it, much you can do. This right. is what... But so there is going to be a little more limited uh, production of Prosecco, which means, unfortunately, prices are going to go up mm. for everyone. It's not only us as a producer of Prosecco, right. but for everyone. Well, when we come However, back... However, we are really focused on uh, having the quality and quality control. And fortunately for us, uh, our company... Is one of the largest is the largest privately owned producer mm-hmm. and bottle of prosecco out of Italy. So we are going to have good supply. Okay. Well, that's good. And when we come back to you, um, I'd like to talk a little bit because there has been a little bit of a bastardization of prosecco that's been sent to the states to sort of for the people who prefer a sweeter palate. And so I'm sort of curious how you guys are dealing with that. But while you pour, we'll we're taste gonna, and then we'll come so, back. You know, love to talk about that. The okay. word the word entrepreneur gets thrown around a lot, and sometimes it's a bunch of baloney. But this guy, <laughs> our next guest, Chad Scarborough, is not only an entrepreneur, but he's an entrepreneur with staying power. He is the founder and CEO of The Jet, which is a, a luxury motor coach, 14 seats, <laughs> offering direct service between D.C. at Metro Center and New York's Hudson Yards. And he founded the company brilliantly, like I did something brilliantly, in December of 2020, right, right before the shutdown. 20, 2019. Hi, Chad. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Hi, Great Chad. to be here. Great to be here with you guys. Thank you. So, a little bit about your background. Uh, zero experience in the transportation industry whatsoever. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so, it makes perfect sense that I got into <laughs> inner city buses. Um, no, I entrepreneur. Uh, this is my second company. My, previously, I was in uh, ad- advertising, advertising mm, agency. Editor. Um, went to, did a dual degree in business and film for graduate school and have kind of done both since. Okay, but so what was your aha moment that there was a need for luxury transportation between D.C. and New York? Or was that even how it started? What? It, how did you begin? Where was the little nut that started here? Great question. Yeah, so I actually, I'm from New York City originally. I mean, Chad, you've been sitting here for a long time. I am filled with great questions. Oh, God. Why don't you, I, did you throw your arm out patting yourself on the shoulder? I mean, just? Seriously. Oh, my God. Go ahead. Let's hear it. I'm actually from New York City originally, have lived in D.C. for most of my professional life. Mm-hmm. And so I've done this trip a thousand times and always thought there had to be a better way to do no, it. No, you got on um, the train and you said, this sucks. Did you take the train? <laughs> Did you fly? There was actually, if there's one moment, about 10 years ago, I was stuck on a really painful inner city bus ride with mm. my girlfriend at the time. It was one of those trips that everything that could She's go wrong She's no longer your wrong. girlfriend. Still friend, still very friend, still very friendly and she's supportive. Is she alive? Company. Okay, good. Okay, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the trip took six hours. The traffic was terrible. The AC was broken. We ran out of water halfway through the trip and I was just sitting there kind of stewing and like, Thing okay, this doesn't have to be this painful. It's mm-hmm. there's plenty of space in this bus. It's just the fact that we're packed in like sardines and there's no amenities. So that's where the idea kind of first took hold, and um, and then we went from there. Well, and what was it that you wanted to execute? Because everybody has different uh, sort of layers of luxury and mm-hmm. what they think that that looks like. What was it that you wanted to have? Because let's be honest. You can't control the traffic, but you can control what goes the, on in the bus. What goes on in the bus? So, how do right. you? What give us a little bit about the experience? And a side note, I was shocked by this. Buses are actually the most on-time form of transportation in the Northeast Corridor, yeah, which we'll come back to in a minute. Okay, good. But earlier, we were talking about with the wine. You guys were talking about uh, mentioned affordable luxury, right? And that's what I feel what we're doing with the jet. We're the world's first affordable first-class method of travel. Well, what's interesting is you've got a bus. Uh, normally, how many people fit, w- would be jammed into one of those? 50-plus, you know? and we're right. 14, so a ton so of space. So you've oh. got essentially a quarter of the the, the you know the bodies mm-hmm. paying 
significantly more, but getting significantly more. Once you talk about the experience, what happens when I get on the bus? And what's the it, bus look like? It's very much so. It's a full size motor coach. You know, okay. typical coach bus is fifty plus. Seats. We've seen one on the We're road. Only fourteen. We saw one. Okay. They're pretty sharp. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But it's very much a first class private experience, private jet like experience from the moment you book to the moment you arrive. Okay. So, so walk you, us through. There's no. So you have a reserved seat. So there's no showing up early. There's only fourteen passengers and a two person crew. So there's no waiting in line. You literally walk right on the bus when you get there, sit down. The attendant brings you a drink, and mm -hmm. off you go. Um, the coolest thing about the experience is we are the very first people in the world to use motion-canceling technology for our passenger seat. This is actually tech that was developed by Bose Audio about 10 years ago based off the same principles from their noise-canceling headphones. Okay. And they tried it in different applications, and one place it worked really well was the suspension for a car or a seat. So they've been selling it to truck drivers for the last decade. We uh, signed a deal to adapt it for passengers. So the seats, each seat has an active suspension underneath it that reads what's happening below it 100 times a second. If it feels a bump, it moves the seat to counteract the bump so you don't feel anything. It's wow. literally the smoothest ride you've ever had in any form of transportation. So that's, that's amazing. That's the coolest thing. We have this ridiculously fast Wi-Fi. We found the guy who, uh, who manages the Wi-Fi for Google and Facebook shuttles and got the same setup. Okay. Um, are everyone on the on board can stream? Um, those are the two biggest things people talk about. Is just different from any other form of travel. Yeah, because when you take tr the train, because I would take I take the train to and from the city, and you know that Wi-Fi is spotty, spotty at best, at yeah. best, right, at best. Um, plus, you are crammed in. I mean, even when you're on like the nicer train, yes, you so. are totally crammed in. But um, so, did you remove seats? Like, what does it look like? Yeah, I'll show, you, I'll show you guys a picture when we get done. But when we got the buses, they were literally empty inside. We bought what are called shells. So they had a driver's seat and plywood flooring, and that's it. Okay. And so we so fully who designed customized. it? You designed it. I, I had a hand, yeah, and then I had some help. Um, okay. Two, two most important things on the bus. First of all, bus bathrooms usually are tiny and they mm -hmm. stink. Yep. So tell us about the bathrooms and, uh, and food. <laughs> Ours is the opposite of that, thankfully. Um, we custom designed the restroom, so it's a nice upscale restroom, much bigger. Um, and then we also have in-seat service, so each each coach has a full galley, and we have it on. So I never attending. have to go to the bathroom. You can come right to my seat. Okay, yeah, that's exactly. gross. Oh, I see. Not we're not quite at that level <laughs> yet. I, but, I don't you know. want you to be. That's disgusting. <laughs> that's called going to go, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's just silly. Okay, um, but, but what's, no, really, what's the menu like? Uh, it's limited right now. We're actually just starting some to reach out for some food and beverage partnership. That's something Nick and I were talking mm -hmm. about earlier. Um, mm -hmm. But we have uh, we have a partnership with Illy Coffee, so we have uh, we serve espressos and cappuccinos on board that people really love. We're working on deals for charcuterie. Speaking of what just got served here, right. <laughs> um, and really we're we're just starting outreach uh, to local. We want to really have a local menu for so like New York, you know, Long Island, New Jersey. Um, you know, Northern Virginia, D.C., Maryland-based uh, local local produce and food options mm -hmm. for people on board. So, well, that makes sense. Well, let's go back to you know you you. you and what about your prosecco? Because I feel like there are little bottles here that would be really yeah. perfect. Oh, I think Filippo <laughs> was no idiot. That's yes. what I think. <laughs> There's always a little business uh, happening. A on little bit, yeah. No, this would be awesome. <laughs> we have we actually do serve uh, sparkling wine on board right now. It's not as nice as this. Okay. So we should have a conversation. For mm -hmm. Um. Yep. So, in, in terms of like on time and all of that, you're you're are you four hours door to door? Is that about what it we've is? We've actually been averaging under. So we've been at a ninety-five plus percent on time uh, so far in the first three and a half months, and we're averaging about three hours and forty-five minutes. And what about just general volume of business? Because uh, as COVID starts to loosen its grip, I'm guessing that things have picked up. Thank you. Yeah, we did really well. So we launched in November. We did really well in November, December. We were at about 70% average ridership. That obviously nosedived in January. January's just a slow month and then Omicron. But thankfully, we've seen a rebound uh, the last couple of weeks especially. And where do people get picked up? Where do Like if you're in the D.C. metro area, where mm -hmm. are you catching the jet? We actually were really we worked hard to have stops that kind of fit the brand. Mm -hmm. um, so instead of going from Union Station, where all the other buses go from, we go from Metro Center. So it's okay. a, it's more centrally located. It's actually mm -hmm. uh, it's a little more upscale, and it's um, it's also faster in and out of the city than you know because you've got the Ninth and Twelfth Street Expressways right there. And then in sure. New York, we're at Hudson Yards, which is a brand new, clean, really nice, convenient Gorgeous. neighborhood. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, I just saw a show at the Shed. Um, so. Mm. Well, I did, no, <laughs> which is right at Hudson Yards. Um, so 
But, you know, one of the things is, is that like when I think of like the um, less luxurious buses, um, you have to go, go there and you have to wait in line. You're standing mm-hmm. with your luggage. You're dealing with inclement weather. Like, how are you adding your brand of luxury to make sure that from the moment I book my ticket to the moment I'm mm-hmm. on the bus, that it's a win? I think it's it, we don't really look at the other buses as our competitors. I think it's it's more mm-hmm. Amtrak and the plane okay. for our level of service. Which honestly, I have to be. There is no competition. Right. Like yeah, and the idea is we just kind of looked at it as like, all right, travel kind of sucks, right? Like even short haul travel shouldn't be this painful. Like how do we take all the pain points out? And right. So the the booking process is you know it's very Uber like. Like we remember your information the first time you register, so you come back and it's three clicks to book. Um, you walk right on board. There's no waiting because you have a reserved seat and you have first class service on board. The well, since time. you're a former ad guy and, and or no, it's still an ad guy, right? I must crush you. But beyond <laughs> that, um, what about a frequent traveler program and all that? Is that yeah. in the works? Yeah, it's called the Jet Set, and we, yeah, we have a rewards program that we're we're getting. You know, there's a, a song by Alphaville called Jet Set, and if you don't know it, you should Google it. It's pretty good. You can like steal from it. the '80s. <laughs> It's really good. Oh, we needed a theme, need a theme the song for the, for the rewards program, so that's perfect. <laughs> um, okay, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to finish talking about the jet. We're going to get into some Moscato, and uh, we'll be back in just a sec. It's David and Nikki Nellis on Foodie and the Beast. All right, we are back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and uh, we're talking to Chad Scarborough, who is the ingenious founder and CEO of the jet, which is a luxury um Bus experience, travel experience between D.C. and New York. Um, well, well, wait, wait you wait, giggled but, when you said bus and luxury together. Now, why did you no, do I, that? No, I wasn't giggling. I was swallowing the cheese that I ate when <laughs> okay. we had a commercial It is break. a bit of an oxymoron. Right. right? Yeah, but that's so what we actually— you have to change the narrative. Well, we, we do. We try, and, we, we try to call it a motor coach, not motor a bus, coach. first of all. But that sounds more, very European. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sophisticated. Like our <laughs> right. Prosecco. Right. <laughs> like me. Um <laughs> What about? I mean, people are still concerned about vaccination requirements and all of that on the bus. We we have we, so we're the first inner city form of transit to require proof of vaccine before you get Good. on board. So we, we put that in place when, when Omicron hit in January. Okay. And once the uh, mask mandates go away, will you do that as well? Like, where are you on that? I mean, there's so few people on there; it's 14 people. Yeah, so. and we're we were really conscious of designing the environment to be very COVID safe. That was the really the only benefit of of buying the buses when we did at the beginning of COVID is we sure. were able to customize. So we have. These really high-end uh, UV filtration systems on board, they're actually ambulance-grade. They're typically using ambulances, and with the six feet of space and, and mm-hmm. mask requirements, it's a very safe environment. That said, we'll be cautious. You sure. know, it's, it's, a, it's a static environment with 14 people for four hours. So, mm-hmm. you know, we'll, we'll probably trail. We'll make sure everything goes smoothly with public and restaurants and all that before we start removing uh, the requirements. Now, this is sort of an aspirational thing real quick, but are you looking at other – Cities, other other routes besides DC and New York. We would, I mean, Boston, New York is an obvious, or Philly and all that. But right, we would love to scale. I mean, I think it's a little, it's a little. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves or jinx anything, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, things are going well so far, so we really want to like optimize and get these four coaches profitable, and then we'll look to there. What's look the there. schedule at the moment? Is it just weekend based? Can you go every day? What? How does it work? We started Fridays through Sundays when we launched in November and December. We added Thursdays in January. We just added Mondays. This past weekend, so we're up to five days a week. We'll mm-hmm. hope to get to seven as we continue coming out of the pandemic. Matinees are on Wednesdays. <laughs> That's a good note. Yeah, we need how many, to, we need how many trips? In other words, how many buses leave DC every day? And just two right now. Mm-hmm. We have four coaches. But so what are the times? It's um, it's eleven a.m. and six thirty p.m. Okay. And then we'll add an eight a.m. and a mid afternoon. Really so smart. Forward. It is. Good I think it. I do. Yes. I think it's really brilliant. And the price is right because, like, right now, if you look at what it costs to fly. Or take the train. I mean, it. the train is astronomical. The train's a joke. You know? Well, it's not a joke. It is. But I mean, it's, expensive. it's It used to be, you know, you could Reasonable. go round trip for 100 bucks or less. I actually I actually like the train, but one quote I used in our pitches is Vox referred to Amtrak in the Northeast as Russian quality at Swiss prices, which I thought was, <laughs> was pretty spot on. That is. Now, spot that's on. it. I'm a train fan. So I don't want to. No, be too I mean, I like the train too. So uh, you did say something earlier before we wrap up with you. About like traffic and dealing with that that part, the component that you cannot handle. Mm-hmm. So how are you handling that? Because you said you had like, if you're able to always be there on time, how are you negating some obvious issues? I was shocked to find out when I first started researching this thing three years ago that that you know I, I would assume buses would have been the slowest 
than planes and trains are the fastest. It's the exact opposite. Trains are the most delayed, about 70% on time. Mm-hmm. Airlines are about 80% and buses are over 90%. Um, so overall, we're, we're actually exceeding that. We're doing better. But if we do run into traffic, which of course happened, has happened a couple of times, we just have a really comfortable environment. You know, we have wine on board and food and super fast Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi and the most comfortable seats in the world. Right. Right. So it's a very comfortable environment to be in if you are stuck. Well, I have my new way of Do you inject your drivers uh, with coffee? (laughs) 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 Okay, Chad, tell everybody, please, where they can find out information. Do we follow you on social? What's the best way to do that? Buy tickets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So tickets are all online, uh, Mm -hmm. www.thejet.coach. And then uh, on Instagram, we're thejet.coach. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Can't wait to try it. All right. Okay, so Amico mio. So before we get into um, the Moscato that you just poured, I want to just, if we could briefly talk about Prosecco, because I feel like, uh, not I feel like, I know that uh, there's a lot of very sweet Prosecco these days because they think the American palate prefers it. Well, that's why we have the Moscato we're going to taste after. Moscato's for that enjoyment, for that, for that's those sweet. People? And ours is actually not. No. Super sweet, actually, because we mm-hmm. raise the alcohol up. And Prosecco, on point and tradition, extra dry. We do both extra dry and brut. Uh, we are, my our, our import company is called Innovation. Anno part means wine and then innovative because you see our packaging. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of what Italy is about. If you think about Italy and you've been there, I know, uh, you see all of this old uh, uh, monuments and ruins and, Roman uh, history and layers of history. But then you see the modern design, the modern furniture, the fashion, right. Right. The, 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 uh, the furniture. Um, so uh, how does that, that's how we fit in as wine. We have the package. We package the tradition, but with the modern flair in the packaging that's also very Italian. Uh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm pleased so, to tell you we're going back soon. <laughs> good, good, good. Finally, <laughs> everyone wait. can hopefully return and have a, enjoy a vacation and and relax and enjoy the Prosecco. But we do stay on point and on tradition when it comes to Prosecco, to answer your question, mm-hmm. because it's uh, very important. We have a lot of uh, history and, and tradition, and that is our that is our category, really, as far as producers. Well, how old are your vineyards? Are. I mean, I know the, the, well, the company, company is 30 years old. I know, so, no, but the so vineyards the, must have been planted The vineyards, that. yeah. So one of our, uh, one of our uh, senior members of our company, uh, one of the founders of... Um, uh, um, one of the chair, uh, former chairman, his family had for many years uh, planted Prosecco grapes and grown Prosecco grapes, I would say maybe three, four generations back. Uh, so uh, you, generally speaking, most Glera Prosecco vines are in the 10-year, 15-year-olds because they need to re, be revisited, replanted. Re, so, but good, healthy vines... 10 plus years, you know, uh, but uh, uh, it's not that uh, some of the red wines that we grow in Veneto are, have older vines, you know. Sure. It's not, mm. it's not necessary for... Just quickly, uh, can we dive into Moscato? Because Absolutely. It's, Moscato, it's a little bit misunderstood. Yes, Moscato. So our Moscato, I, I have to say, not because it's ours, but it is the best because we raise the alcohol level and we make it spumante, so it's full-on sparkling, just like you had with the experience with Prosecco. We make it in the same method we call the Charmat method, where we make our Prosecco and doing that ferment, secondary fermentation, making it very bubbly. So it's super refreshing, but it's not really sweet. We really Our winemakers look to bring out the flavors of the grape, the pear mm-hmm. and the uh, apple uh, nuances. So it's, uh, So for, would you pour the Moscato as an aperitivo? You can uh, as well. Moscato was pegged always as sort of the dessert wine, mm-hmm. and the uh, Moscato. Our grapes come from Piedmont, actually, for the Moscato, and it's one of the better, best areas uh, for the growing of the uh, Moscato grape. Uh, and in the old times, it was almost like you'd pour a little bit on the wild strawberries of Piedmont right. and enjoy it that way, and uh, or enjoy it with some cake and sponge cake and celebratory. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the Moscatos were still, some of them were we call frizzante, lightly bubble. But here we made it in a way that's, again, celebratory, refreshing. You can have it as a uh, an aperitivo as well as enjoying with dessert. You can pair it with 
even sushi or Asian fusion mm. uh, type of cuisine. Well, because it is which sort is very of popular spicy foods. I was thinking Thai about Thai it foods. is sort of like sparkling sake so, yeah. in yeah. its in its texture. Thank you. Yeah, and 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 our uh, we've become global with our moscato as well as our prosecco because the the, the food pairings outside of Italy are. Tremendous. So, right. so our wine has gravitated and been pulled into those uh, those other cuisines to be paired with it. And uh, uh, for prosecco as well as moscato, it can be enjoyed at uh, almost any course of the of the meal. Okay, so tell us where. I mean, we can find Gemma de Luna wines all over the DC metro area. I assume, correct? Yes, yes, all over the DC metro area. Uh, the uh, the best shop, especially uh, if you're going in the county, all the county uh, stores of Montgomery County. Will uh, carry it. Uh, any of your uh, plethora of your independent wine shops in in uh, DC, as well as uh, some of the chain, uh, like uh, even the Total Wines and Safeway and such. And is there a place to follow it on Instagram or Absolutely. do we look it up yes. online? Uh, if you want to go, uh, you can shop jamadeluna.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, if you want to go on Drizzly or Vivino, you can mm. par- purchase that way by putting in your. Uh, address and and all the information you can visit gemmadeluna.com also just to kind of tie in uh, we have the hashtag Gemma moment and that's okay. also talking about how you enjoy the wine so tell us your story and hashtag uh, Gemma right. moment and tell us about how you enjoyed the wine and with what you enjoyed it with and what your experience was like all right Excellent. thanks for thank joining us thank you so us. much well, thank we you. have to wrap up we it's do been a I just want to thank say thank I'm you. jumping in real quick there's misery in spots all over the world, but the Russia's unprovoked attack on the Ukraine is especially miserable. Mm-hmm. So don't forget those people. And if you've got some money and you want to make a donation, they need food, they need shelter, they need everything along with weapons. Mm-hmm. But um, um, Red Cross or whatever you can find online that's a legitimate donation, uh, I would hope you'll do it. And I know that area restaurants are starting to do fundraisers, um, uh, especially in the D.C. metro area. I know DACA is doing something right now. Uh, But as uh, we get more and more, we will certainly post that information on the site. So we want to thank all of our guests for joining us today. We certainly had some very uh, interesting conversations about your health, about your travel, and how you're drinking. Um, So we want to thank all of our guests for joining us. And, of course, we thank you for joining us today. Follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't forget to check out the list, areyouwanted.com, the online e-zine that tells you about everything going on in the D.C. metro area. It's an empire. It is. And Industry Night on Tuesdays, Real Fun D.C., where we take deeper dives than we do on this show. Thank you again. Everybody, be safe out there. The mask mandate is ending on the 1st, but you still may be asked. So just do it. Be kind out there. Be safe. And everybody have a delicious week.